Hello. I was uh, driving up with Davey. I, I needed Dave uh, because when you have to get from one place to another at, at like mock speed, you need a businessman to drive you there uh, so that they can pay the fines. But uh, so I got into the car, raced, and I thought to myself, I need the toilet. And I, I thought it was because I just haven't been to the toilet, but I've been to the toilet a whole bunch of times. And then I realized it was because I had the keys for the car that Amy needed to drive home in my bag. And uh, as I thought about that, I needed the toilet more. And then I, uh, I came here and I got to sing a few songs. And then um, I listened to the announcement and I thought, I need the toilet more. And so if I just run out, that's what's going on. It's just been a terrifying way to start a sermon. But other than that, uh, I loved singing here. It's like being in a men's camp. You sing, it sing the wall sings back to you. You sing, the wall sings back to you. Anyway, uh, what I'm going to do today, I'm not, I'm not really going to describe the transition. Uh, we, we know that Matt Knight is coming to, to strengthen Kloof, and uh, we're going to suss him out as a community and, and discern in our spirits whether he's the guy to take us forward. But I'm not going to tell you much more about that. We've got a process. It'll come out. I want to talk to you about living in change. And uh, I, uh, I'm 43, just turned 43. In fact, it was, a, it was a beautiful experience turning 43 because I, um, I felt like for the first time in my life, I was actually getting my handle on staying consistent, just in my inner man, despite whirlwinds in my outer man. And let's face it, we, we want that in COVID. And God's been working that in me for a very long time. And I just started to feel like, oh, wow, I'm getting some breakthrough in this. And, uh, you know, when you turn... When you turn 43, I just, I remember when, um, you know that thing where you spin the wheel to get to your date of birth on, on the internet, when you want to buy stuff, you go, and you spin. And when that, first, when that first came out in about, I don't know, 2000 and something, I remember I used to spin it, and it would just be one spin, and then bang, you'd like go past your year of birth, and then you go back, 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 and then, um, and th- and then I turned 43. And, and what you do when you, when you turn 43 is you, you spin the thing, it goes, and it's not there, and you go, and, and eventually you go, oh, 1978, just two more, and you're there. And you go, yes, I made it. I'm old. Uh, but some of you, some of you in the age where you can spin that thing, you can go make a sandwich and you can come back again, still not there. It's taken me 43 years, 20 years, 22 years of being a Christian to learn how to live with external change and some internal stability. I'm not 100% there, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the early church because it's so fascinating how we think of church as slow and steady. Isn't that how you think about church? Like corporates must be fast and adaptive and businesses must change all the time. But church, slow and steady, until you read the book of Acts. Because they just go through change after change after change after change. It starts off with their leader, Jesus, going away. It's not a great start. Then John gets killed. Peter trots off. He just flits all over the show. He's just gone. Then, then they, they realize, they thought Peter was going to head this thing up, but they, they, they've got rid of one James, and then they, they need to get another guy in charge, so they get Jesus' brother, James, who wasn't even a Christian before. We don't know how he just kind of climbed through the ranks, but he takes over. And, and that's, that's by Acts 1. No, a little bit later. But, but that's, that's like 
early in Acts. And then you, you keep going through the book of Acts, and um, you realize the Bible's not at all applicable and relevant to, to our life. I mean, because in Acts 6, we have uh, Greek lives matter. There's a little campaign. You read about that. Uh, then they all go into the Greco-Roman world, and, uh, and there are no problems with gender there. Uh, gender fluidity is something that just exists. The, the whole experience of the church is shocking. And it's one change after the next. And it's uh, 19, I mean, 0070, uh, year 70 AD, and suddenly there's a scattering of the church. Can you imagine the amount of trauma that was going on in the church? And yet again and again throughout Scripture it says, they were filled with joy, or they were filled with peace, or the fear of the Lord was there, and the Lord added to their number. There's this internal, beautiful stability and external whirlwind. And so, because Cliff as a community is in a bit of a whirlwind, I thought that this message might be able to help you and settle you. And so, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 17, and it's, it's a... I don't think this message is going to profoundly knock you off your seat. I'm going to try and preach it in a fresh way. But what I have found increasingly in my Christianity is that the basic foundations reworked in me again and again and again are producing disproportionately more fruit the more they reworked. I think this might be just a reworking of some good stuff in you. So... Keep listening. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. <laughs> Just a show of hands. How many... Else, how many others other than me freaked out because of this light? Just, just those, those people. Yeah, yeah. It is frustrating the life out of me. But anyway, nice light. Uh, I, I'm so tempted to jump on it. That's, that's what I'm... Anyway. Okay. This is the road into Athens. And what you would have had on the left side, in between those columns, you would have had... Um, laughing. There we go. That's when your preacher annoys him. Just cut him. Uh, there would have been shop after shop after shop after shop after shop after shop. This would have been like a long marketplace. This is Roman road. You know, all, all roads lead to Rome. Well, this is it. This is what their roads would look like. And so what would happen is you coming into Athens, and say you wanted to sell pottery, for example. You would walk in here, and you would go and you would find a dude. I wrote his name down. He is called the agronomist. He manages the agora, the marketplace. And you would go to him and you would say, can I sell pottery here? And he would say, sure, just make an offering. Often incense wasn't expensive. Just make an offering to our gods and you can sell here. But you're a Christian or you're a Jew and you don't believe in their gods. So straight off the bat, you can't trade in their trading spots. Not, not a huge disaster because you can trade another 10 kilometers that side and maybe someone will come past. But, 
but I want you to think about this. From the moment you walk in as a Christian, you don't fit. Economically, you've just taken a knock. And if you kept walking down that road, you, you eventually get into Athens, and there would have been a mayor there. He wasn't called a mayor, but that's kind of what he did. And what the mayor would do every single day, because everything in the Greco-Roman world was religious in some way, every single day, he would come into the city hall, and he would have a little bath, and he would sacrifice an animal to appease all the gods. So you come into the city, and he wants to appease your God and all of his. So he says to you, hey, Paul, what's your God? And you go, my God is Jehovah. My God is, is, is the one God, the only true God. And he would go, well, that's cool. Bring your God, and we're going to make a sacrifice. So come with me. We'll make the sacrifice to our gods and your God so that the gods aren't angry with us. And you would go, no, hang on, I, I can't make a sacrifice to your gods because I only worship the one God. Now, he's going, we don't want you. You're going to anger our gods. So not only have you taken an economic knock, now you've also taken a friend's knock. How to win friends and influence people. Failing. But then you, you keep walking in, and you would have got to this little thing here, bulletarion. I don't know how to say it properly. But basically, what would happen here is you would, it's, it's basically a house of counsel is what it means. You would have, you'd have a person, basically a, a politician, maybe the mayor, who would come here, and on this little altar-looking thing, there would, have been, um, there would have been a marble basin. And in the basin... And this would have been every city, uh, every Greek city. In the basin, there would be hot coals. Just so you know how they got the hot coals? Uh, there was, there was a, a fire that burnt uh, on a mountain, Olympus. And someone went up, got fire, came down, and they would put it, they'd put the fire into a, a fireplace and into here, and they would keep the coals hot. They'd just keep them burning. So everybody who wanted to get fire would go to those places. So anyway, they would have a fire there, and uh, before they would start making decisions on behalf of the town, they would offer incense. So if you were part of this council, and you became a Christian, you would come into there one day, and everybody would be offering incense, and there would have been like a polis here, Athena over there, and Artemis there. They would have all the gods around. And, and you would go, but now I can't make this offering. And in that moment, you would lose any political influence you had. So, so I just want you to get into the picture of the early church, because now they economically dropped a couple of rungs. They are not particularly liked. And politically, they have no power. They are no one in the ancient Greek world. And so, Paul's in Athens. And it says this, He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Then it says, He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean 
and Stoic philosophers. So the Epicureans, they're the guys who like pleasure. Everything's about pleasure. How much can we enjoy? The Stoics, the opposite. They're just dead serious. So he has this argument. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picking up? So the, the word babbler, it, it doesn't mean like he just talks a lot. It, it's, it's this concept that it's a bird pecking at seed and taking this idea and that idea and that idea, and we'll have a little bit of that idea, and we'll have a little bit of that idea. And, and here's what the guy's saying. He's going, this dude is just pulling little bits of information from different religions to make up his own. So, so that's what's going on. And then it says, uh, this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up, others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the Areopagus. I wanted to show you the Areopagus. Here's the Areopagus doesn't look like much at the moment, but I want you to look just above. That is the temple of Athena. They would make their decisions over there, and up there is the temple. Now, the Areopagus, I know I'm giving you a lot of history, but stay with me, you're going to enjoy this. The Areopagus is both a place, that little hill, and it's a people basically a supreme court, who made decisions on murder, people being injured, and religions. To be invited to the Areopagus to talk about your religion was to be put on trial. It wasn't a nice experience. This was an on-trial experience, but it was also an incredible opportunity experience. So Paul... He's at the Areopagus, and, and they say to him, come and tell us what this new teaching they said about this new teaching. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenian as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas, unlike today. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, uh, after this, go back to that picture, please. Men of Athens... I noticed that you're very religious in every way. For as, as, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Now, I want you to imagine, you're standing there. The temple's there. I've actually got another picture, like a, and just go to the next picture, it might be the one. This, this is what we kind of imagine the temple looked like. So, those columns were about 18 meters high. This temple's huge. And what they would have had is they would have had it facing east. And in there, Athena, who has many, 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 many breasts. As she would have been standing there. She's the goddess of war and uh, having kids. She would, have, she would have been standing covered in gold. Now, can you imagine? The sun rises. She's right in the front here. 
that's all white marble. And now it's dazzling off her. She's shining out of there. Can you imagine how spectacular it was back in those days? I mean, it took people a lifetime to build one part of the column. This is, it is so unbelievable. And you're looking up at this temple and you're going, that is splendid. You could see this temple from out at sea. Everywhere you were around Athens, you could see this huge temple shining. I can't beat cuteness. No, and no stress. This is, this is magnificent. And you know what Paul does? He goes, God doesn't dwell there. Kind of looks up at it. God's not there. He goes, God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. And, and then he goes, and God, he is the one who satisfies every human need. You know what he's saying? He's going, your, your temple isn't where God is. And uh, I'll tell you where God really is in a moment. And he's also going, your agora, we don't really need it. Because we have a God who satisfies every need. And your, your council of politicians, that's, that doesn't have any power over us. Because we serve a God who is sovereign over all things. But your temple especially, which they're probably looking at, he goes, God's not there because God is here. And he's probably got some mates around him. He goes, and God is there, and God is there, and God is there. And when we come together, don't worry, it happens all the time. When we come together, you, plural, are the temple, singular, of the Holy Spirit, where many of us are, God is there in the midst of you. You, you see, now Paul is incredibly articulate in this. And you, you would think that he's so articulate because uh, he's just smart. But the truth is, he was probably asked this question again and again about the temple. He, his, if, if there were kids around, the other kids would have said to those kids, hey, there's our God up there in that temple. Where's your God? And, and what they would have come up with answers and they would have said, our God doesn't live in buildings. God, our God lives in us. And so when, they, when Paul speaks about your living stones being built into a temple, what he's saying is, is God lives in you when you come together. And then he's, he's going on. He's going, we don't need your agora. We don't need your economic system. We don't need your political system. You need us, really, is what he's saying. And then he goes, because God lives here. You are the temple. You are the temple. Now, let me, let me tell you a story. Um, yesterday, I was driving back from the beach. Do any of your kids ever drive you to the place where, where murder is an option. So I've just had one of those days with, <clears throat> with my middle daughter. She has been unplayable. And, uh, and I'm driving away, and I'm probably thinking about a few of the other problems I'm facing in life. And, uh, and this guy cuts me off, but he doesn't just cut me off. Like, he, 
he almost pushes me off the road, cuts me off. And something flicked in my brain. And, you know, when you speed up because you're hoping that you might nick him. Like, I, I, am, I am now livid. Like, the, the rage is sitting somewhere here. I'm driving so close to him. My wife says to me, baby, the whole family's here. And I go, oh. In my mind, I was hoping he was going to stop and get out. I'd got to that stage of just rage. I had issues. I spent a lot of this weekend actually repenting after that. You know why? I'd forgotten that this is a stone that builds a temple. And God doesn't dwell here. He dwells here. And in that, I'd forgotten how magnificent this can be. And I'd put the responsibility on what I did on Sunday. Now, you've you got to understand what Paul is doing here to a people who have really lost everything. They've lost, I mean, the DA can't save them. They, they've lost any economic power. They've lost pretty much everything. He's going, yeah, I know you've lost that power. And you've lost control over all the environmental factors. But I want you to know this. God lives in you and you are magnificent. And if, you, if you'll live that out, something phenomenal will happen. Now, that early church transformed the world. Let me, let me tell you how. Because they believed this. Here's how they transformed the world. They literally unraveled the systems of that world. And the way they did this is um, they went to, to feasts. That, that world was governed by feasts. They would have guild feasts. And they'd have all kinds of feasts. And, and when you went to a feast, there would be a social structure in which each person would be served. And you'd have the Epicureans, which were the wealthy and the established, and they would get served first. And then you'd have the Decureans, which were, were like your civil servants, and they would be served second. And then you would have people born free. They would be served third. And then you would have the next level down was people who had somehow got themselves free. They'd paid for freedom. They're now Roman citizens. And they'd get served. And then if there was any food left, it would go to... Slaves, and you would have different tiers of slaves. Now, I want you to imagine people who understand the magnificence of the temple. What they do is the Epicurean, who has always been served first, goes to the slave who's never been served in his life and gives him a meal. And as the Epicurean's giving his slave a meal, the slave is weeping. Because he, he can't believe that this could ever happen. And in that moment, his dignity is restored and the, the, the Epicurean learns the beauty of serving. And in moments, Rome starts to unravel. Now I tell you all of this. Because anyone notice a few changes in the world? in the country. Anyone spend more than an hour at a bri whining about our political situation and corruption? Just, just anyone? 
Anyone got Daily Maverick? Anyone read it before the Bible? Anyone find that the outside environment is starting to choke up and, and strangle the inside joy? See, I learned lots of things in COVID. I learned that, that I couldn't plan anything for more than like five days in advance. I, I tried to Airbnb in my house. And uh, it's something that you do if you live by the sea. You guys haven't done it for years, but we, we, we tried to Airbnb. That wasn't funny. We tried to Airbnb our, Airbnb our house. And, um, and so we, we did it over December. And the one group decided to come. And then as soon as they'd kind of signed and they were in, then Ramaphosa announced that beaches were closed and the other group stopped, which meant that now I didn't have enough money to go away on holiday and I didn't have a house to live in. It was just like that, that was the thing. The friends of mine, they were building the arches. And they said, uh, whilst they were building, like lockdowns were coming one after the next. And they said in the first week, they would have this prayer meeting. Everybody would come together, have a prophecy, a word. They were excited. They came up with solutions. The second week, like one oak would have a word. Someone would have a solution. The third week, they would come to the prayer meetings. They'd just sit and stare at one another. They just couldn't come up with a plan. Because what had happened is that we, outside controls had just been stripped. In a world where we could determine outcomes and we could plan and with leadership skill and use of of all our strengths and gifts, we could work out a beautiful solution. And suddenly that just got stripped away from us. So you know what we started to do? We started to plan for today. How can I enjoy today? I mean, what's the weather doing? Oh, it looks good. Shall I go to church or the beach? It's today. We started making plans for today. We started making plans for comfort instead of purpose. And we forgot that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because we just needed to get through today. And you know, COVID's kind of done that to the world, which is why most churches are now just their core. They're definitely not their crowd. They're core and they're committed. So well done. You are the faithful few. You are going to heaven. The rest of them we're not sure about. Everything's kind of been stripped because we, we gave up on purpose. We forgot our identity. You're the temple of the Spirit. And uh, we chose comfort over our purpose. And we forgot by which power we're working. You know, when, when you lose economic power and you lose political power and you lose power over everything outside, it does something beautiful. And if you want to be stable in Christ, this is what it does. It helps you understand the scripture that says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because you start to understand that you have no might and your power has been stripped away from you, so you need something else. By my spirit, says the Lord. So Cliff, we're going into a new season. And this is what we need. We need a pastor or site leader who makes sure that we're established in our identity as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who makes sure 
that we focused on our purpose. Because Paul, Paul says this, he brings him to purpose, he says, from one man, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He, de- earth. he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determined the boundaries of their dwellings, whether they should go to New Zealand, Australia, or stay here. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards them and find him. Sorry, towards him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us. The purpose of the church has to be about getting the nations to God. And the power has to be by the Spirit. We need a site leader who's going to establish you as the temple in your identity. He's going to call you not to comfort, but to your purpose, which is reaching people for the nations. And he's going to keep you moving in the power of God and not the power of man. So, this new building, which um, the sale agreement's gone through, the bond hasn't. This new building is a tool for the temple you to meet in, operated in the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of reaching the world. Friends, I know you've heard that before, but I noticed over COVID that people stopped living it, and so I want to remind you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but your purpose is not comfort. Your purpose is that the nations would come to God, and you will only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that becomes your center, you will find over the next little while that center here starts to go like this. And not like this. And if it doesn't, this is what the temple will look like. I've got to see all these broken rocks. It'll look broken. The temple looks broken when we don't operate out of the spirit, the power. We're not clear about our identity, we're the temple, and we're not, we're not inspired about our purpose to reach the lost. And what we start to do is we begin to criticize him, and if he just, and why didn't you, and criticism and arguing and flesh gets in, and then the temple starts to look like this. Now, church, I, I don't want to end on a heavy, but I, I do want you to know this. I came to a realization a little while ago, that, um, and it happened because um, there was a guy who came to our church in Florida Road. This would never happen here, but it happened there. And uh, he was married to the lady sitting in the top left, but he was with his girlfriend in the bottom right. And so um, I watched this, and, uh, and it was very funny to watch play. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it was also funny uh, that, that they would both pitch at the same service, and, and there was a chamos. But... I thought to myself, in the days afterwards, because I heard so many people criticizing him, I thought to myself, there are a whole bunch of people praying for this dude, that he'll go back to his wife, that life will change, and there are a whole bunch of people criticizing this dude, and the one's canceling out the other. 
you see, when you criticize and judge and gossip and all those things, James says that you, your tongue, pretty powerful, is set on fire by the power of hell itself. Suddenly what you've got is you've got the Spirit of God wanting to change the man. Hello, Brew. You've got the Spirit of God wanting to change a man. And you've got the words of an enemy wanting to bondage the man. And he's stuck. Friends, in this next season, as a community, if we live as the temple with the purpose of reaching the lost, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then what comes out of here will be words of faith, encouragement. It might be words of correction, but it will be to the person, not about the person. And there will be life. And I want to say, Cliff, you're vulnerable right now. You're in a vulnerable moment. It's why I'm here. Because I deeply care for this community. That oak at the back with the bald head... And I, we started it. I've sacrificed hours and prayers and, I mean, I did church in Makaranga. Like, it doesn't get worse than that. We have longed for you to grow into the head whom is Christ. And you're vulnerable right now. And I want to say to you, you need to remind yourselves that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your purpose is to reach the lost and nations, and you will only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you be careful about your tongue with great love. And if you do that, we will get a building, we will pay for the building, and you will see many, many people coming to Christ. And this temple will serve this part of the city in ways that you have never even imagined. And that's what I'm expecting for this next season, because my wife said to me, she said, baby, because you know the neck that turns this head, she said, baby, new building, new wine. There is a new season, there's going to be new wine. And when she prophesies the way she did, there's a certain way she prophesies, I just go, it will be so. There's an opportunity for an incredible move of God over this community. Please protect your identity, purpose, and power. May God bless you. I'm going to stay here and answer questions, but without a mic. But I'm going to pray over you, and may God bless you deeply. Jesus, I ask, Father, for such a river of love and grace and new wine, I pray, God, for that bond coming easily. And I pray that we can move quickly. Lord, we, we bless this area and this place, but God, we thank you for that area and that place. And so I ask God, by your grace, people of faith will move there fast and be the temple in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. Lovely being with you. I'll be around to answer questions, and I'm sure Paul will. Have a great Sunday.